Amen. Boy, isn't that the theme song of the church? Amen. Well, we have the blessing now to um, hear from Brother Bulava. He's been a missionary in Quebec for a number of years. He speaks French. He's uh, also been a uh, pastor in Arizona. He speaks Arizonian. And now he's on a new calling to be the Far North Director for BIMI. And we're very thankful for BIMI. A, number, a great number of our missionaries uh, are... Uh, uh, they park their feet under the BIMI table, and we're very thankful for that and for the great job they do. So, Brother Balaba, if you would come now, please, and introduce also, if you would, your wife and daughters. Bless you. Amen. Well, it's good to be here tonight. My name is Tony Balaba. I do speak French. I do speak Arizonian, I guess. I speak Connecticut. I uh, have lived in a number of places in the world. We currently call Arizona our home. We're on our way to Chattanooga, uh, probably at the beginning of the year, so I guess I'll speak Southern at that point as well. Seems like everywhere I go, somebody says, what's your accent? I say, I have no idea. It's somewhere in the world you pick. It is good to have with me tonight my wife, Paula. I'm going to ask her to stand, and our daughters, Ellie and Janique. Janique is our Canadian by birth, and we're glad that they could be here. Janique was born in Chicoutimi, Quebec, while we were ministering there. Ellie is American through and through. Forgive her for that if you would. And um, we're trying to teach her. First place we brought her as we came across the border about a week ago was Tim Hortons. They wanted to know if there was a Starbucks, and I... I told him, perish the thought, we're in Canada, there's, there's Tim Hortons, why would we go there? And so uh, we're glad to be here, glad to be in the north uh, once again. Glad to serve with Baptist International Missions for over 20 years, uh, as Pastor said, uh, planting churches and being involved in church planting in Quebec, Canada, uh, for the last 14 or 13 years in Arizona. Uh, as I was looking at the walls, and praise the Lord for all the missionaries that you support. What a great uh, testimony! What a, it's it's an encouragement to somebody involved in missions to come into a church and see all those missionary pictures on the wall. That's an encouragement to my family and I. And then to look and see that some of the missionaries you support our missionaries that we support in Arizona and uh, we're glad for that and then I got over there to the what I would call the promised land wall the, Ca the Canadian wall and I went straight to the Quebec wall because I have a very special interest there and recognized a lot of families there the Hua family who was just visiting with us at, at least uh, uh, the missus and uh, their daughter were with us in March uh, the last time that uh, Pastor Hua and his family were in Phoenix uh, they brought snow with them and I mean literally snow that stuck to the ground, stuck to the cars, and uh, we were going to take them home in rush hour from Phoenix Airport to our home. It's about a 45-minute drive or so, but because there was snow on the ground, all the cars were pulled over, and I looked at them, and I said, well, you and I know how to drive in this, and we just went straight through, and we had a, a great time together. On the table tonight, I just want to direct your attention, and I appreciate Pastor letting me put some of these things out. We have a prayer card. It's a, it's a square prayer card. If you laminate it, you could put, uh, use it as a, as a coaster, I guess, or something like that. Um, we did it on purpose so that our picture is on the downside, far north on the upside. And then also some brochures, a missionary, uh, this is a short-term missions trips. These are called Connect Trips with BIMI. Uh, we host those all over the 
all over the world. I've been involved in those in the United States extensively and traveling with some of those. And uh, we have seen a number of uh, people called to the mission field and planting churches because of short-term connect trips. So if that's something you might be interested in, pick that up if you would. Camp Bimmy is a is really not a camp at all. It, you have to experience Camp Bimmy to really uh, be able to describe it well. But it is a it is an intense week-long and then a three-year program, one, one, year, uh, one week a year. And uh, it's for those who are surrendered to whatever the Lord wants them to do. And at Camp Bimmy, we tried to teach people that it's just as important to know that I am supposed to be a faithful member of the church I am tending now as it is to know that I'm supposed to be a missionary on the foreign field or a pastor somewhere. And so to help people try to figure out where maybe you fit in the puzzle piece of your life and in your journey with God. There's a brand new brochure there uh, from BIMI, How May We Help You? Most importantly, I think there's just a QR code on the back that you can scan that with your smartphone and you could go to the BIMI website and see the different fields and the different uh, ministries that were involved in there. And finally, I'll just to call your t attention to this BIMI World Magazine. It's on there as well. All of that material is uh, free to you. And if you would take it, I would surely appreciate it because if you don't, I've got to cart it back through uh, customs and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it'll it, it, my girls will like it because if my life luggage is a little bit lighter on the way home, they might be able to get a couple more souvenirs as well. And so if you would take any of that, we would love for you to get that. It's on the back table there and uh, help yourself to it. We'll be back there to help you. Would you take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter number 12 this evening? Again, Pastor, thank you uh, for the invitation and allowing us to be here. We've been in uh, British Columbia now since last Monday, and we've thoroughly enjoyed our time. Started on the east side of the province in Cranbrook and then drove across uh, the north and went through Glacier National Park and dropped down here into Vancouver for the last several days. We, we drive down into the States on Friday night and an early Saturday morning uh, departure so we can be back in Arizona uh, and I can be back in, in our church, Mountainside Baptist Church, on Sunday. Mark chapter number two in our Bibles and if I were going to give a title to this, I would simply uh, entitle this this way, Is Your Faith Visible? Is Your Faith Visible? It's a familiar passage, probably most of us are very familiar with what is happening here, but I want to read verses 1 through 12. We're going to focus in mostly uh, on the first five verses or so, but uh, I want to read verses 1 through 12 so that we have the context set in our minds. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you would notice what the Word of God says, follow along as I read, please. And again, he entered into Capernaum. Now, the he is Jesus. And so he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So get the scene tonight. Jesus is preaching, and the, and the place that he is preaching is so packed out that you can't even get to the door. That's what that verse says. Even uh, there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not... Come nigh unto him for the press. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when he had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, 
he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, faith is something generally you and I think about being in the heart, but the Bible does tell us that Jesus, or God, looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside. So Jesus saw their faith, but I think that Jesus wasn't only looking at their heart. He was looking at their actions in this text, and that's what we want to explore tonight. And, and then in verse 6, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? For who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he rose, and took up his bed, and he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now, I know that they are speaking about Jesus and what he had accomplished in that man that just walked away, but I'm going to tell you tonight, I want to think that maybe they had never seen faith of that kind either. We never saw it in that fashion. Is your faith visible tonight? Our Father, we ask that you will bless our time in the Word. We thank you for uh, the Grace Baptist Church and, and the testimony of salvation that we heard. And, and Lord, uh, to hear the history of one of those hymns that we're uh, so fond of singing, Lord, that was a, an encouragement and blessing as well. Thank you for uh, the ministries here. We thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we ask that you will bless our time in it this evening. Perhaps somebody here doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We pray tonight that they would, that they would from the word of God, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, that they would yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, that they would see their need to repent of their sin of unbelief, to receive Jesus as their Savior, and to know that they know that they know if they were to die tonight, they would be instantaneously and forever in the presence of Jesus. Bless this time. Speak to every heart, work in every life. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I read about a man who was walking along a cliffside one day, and as he was getting a little bit too close to the cliff, he, he kind of fell over. And as he fell over that cliff, he made a desperate grab for a, a limb that was hanging off the side of that cliff. And he was just kind of hanging there with his feet dangling th several hundred feet to the ground, and he didn't know what to do. And he began to scream, Help! Is there anybody up there? Is there anybody up there? And he heard a voice all of a sudden that said, I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe in me? And that man said, yes, Lord, I believe. I, I really believe, and I can't hang on much longer. And the Lord said, that's all right. If you really believe, don't worry about anything. Let go of the branch. It'll be okay. And that man began to scream again, and he said, I wonder, is there anybody else up there? I think that's sometime how you and I live our life. We say we have faith, but when it comes to demonstrating that faith, we aren't always so good at it. And many claim to have faith, but sometimes there lacks the evidence. The Bible is very clear that somebody who has faith in Jesus Christ will live a life that evidences their faith in Jesus Christ. 
It was the Apostle Paul who said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. So Paul made it very clear that somebody who is saved is going to be different from somebody who is not saved. In fact, their life after salvation will be radically different. James said in James chapter 2 and verse number 17, Even so, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Yea, a man say, thou hast faith. I, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The Bible is clear. Faith in Jesus Christ is evidenced in how we behave. And James says that a faith that doesn't produce visible evidence is nothing different than the kind of belief that the devils have when they know that there is a God and that one day they will face His wrath and judgment, but it's a dead faith. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 and verse 1 said this, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance speaks of the, the essence or the reality of an underlying matter. The word evidence is the proof or the demonstration of that matter. And so, if we can think back to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17, the demonstration of faith is a life that is radically different from that life before that person received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. When I lived in Connecticut, I was an expert witness for the state of Connecticut, and I testified often in court. And uh, as I was in the court systems and testifying and I would have to give evidence for a prosecution that was going on, oftentimes the judge would look to me and say, what is the evidence of what you're presenting? Now, I would never say to a judge, now, judge, you have to just kind of imagine in your mind's eyes that this is what happened and this is what took place. We would have to take, and there need to be something very tangible that we could show to the judge and show to the jury. And if we didn't have that, the jury and the judge might say, well, I believe that you believe, but there's just not enough evidence there to make me believe. You remember what Jesus said? that we should do good works so that we would glorify our Father which is in heaven? That's a demonstration of our faith. I think of Abel. The Bible tells us that Abel demonstrated his faith by the sacrifice he brought. I think of Noah. Noah demonstrated his faith by the ship that he built. I think of David. David demonstrated his faith by the sling that he bore. The Bible is clear. Faith in Jesus Christ is something that is tangible and that can be seen, that people can lay a hold of. They can look and they can say, there's something different there. Why? Because belief always dictates behavior. And so there are a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but their belief doesn't line up. And I'm just going to say this. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17 is either true or I don't know what other part of the Bible to trust and not trust. 
I would never want anybody to question their salvation, but Paul did tell people to examine themselves to see whether they be in the faith. I'm simply saying that a person who has received Jesus as Savior will evidence in their lives a new walk, a new way to, to live, and, and a desire to live for the Lord and to glorify the Lord. And I, I think about soul winning. I, I love that you have on your wall, soul winners, uh, the, he that winneth souls is wise. Do you ever think what the opposite of that is? If he that winneth souls is wise, what is the person who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that people are dying and going to hell without Christ, but never wins souls, never hands out a track, never knocks on a door, never tells somebody the gospel, never gives a dime towards missionary support? Where's the evidence of that faith? In fact... For somebody to say that I believe that that person I meet or my neighbor or my coworker is going to die and go to hell without the gospel, but I never give it to them. That's not faith. That's cold-heartedness. So the Bible is clear. Faith can be seen. And in our text tonight, we meet some men who have some faith that the Bible says Jesus sought. I know he looks at the heart, but I'm convinced from the text and the context that we read tonight that when the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith, he saw the actions of these men that produced something that was tangible, that other people could see. So that when we get to verse 12, I, I know that they said they never saw it on this fashion before, and I know that mostly that's talking about what Jesus did in this man of the palsy's life, but I think that they maybe had never seen that kind of faith before either. And I want to notice with you tonight, and we're going to go through them very quickly. Now, in my church, they would laugh at me, but you don't know, so there's nine points. And in my church, they would say, okay, preacher, maybe in three weeks we'll be done. I know what time the pastor told me to be done. We will be done on time, and we'll do our best to get through these. So buckle up and stick with me. I'm from Connecticut. We speak really fast there first thing I want to notice with you about these men that brought their friend to Jesus was just that they had the right priorities. They had the right priorities. You know, the Bible says that there was a great crowd there to see Jesus, and it was so great a crowd that they couldn't even get to the door. I think that some maybe had come to see that miracle worker from Galilee. Maybe some came to be healed like others had to Jesus. Maybe some came because they wanted to hear Jesus actually preach the word. We know that the religious leaders are there to kind of trip Jesus up and to find something to trap him in. The point is simply this. There's a great crowd that's gathered at the house where Jesus is. And a lot of people are there for a lot of different reasons. Some of them good, some of them probably not so good. But I can't think of a better reason to show up where Jesus is than to bring your friend. These four men came with one great purpose. We've got to get our friend to where Jesus is. We've got to get our friend to meet Jesus. We've got to get our friend to this one that can save and help him. And I simply want to encourage you and I tonight, let's not be selfish with Jesus. 
It's good to come to church in a midweek service and because you and I need not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we need to exhort one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And we need to provoke each other unto love and good works. And I understand that in, as Christians we just need to be around other Christians and to fellowship and be under the preaching of the Word of God. But let's not be selfish with Jesus. Let's bring people even to a midweek service. I just had a man recently say to me, he said, he said, uh, I know you're going to be preaching at such and such a time. And he said, um, could you tell me what you'll be preaching on? And I said, well, I really don't know. The Lord hasn't really confirmed it yet. He said, well, I've got some people that I would like to bring to church and I need to know what you're going to be preaching on to find out whether or not I should bring them or not. I tried to be as kind as I knew how, and I just simply said, you know, I, I usually just think it's best just to invite everybody you can invite and let God decide whether they should hear it or not. We need to bring others to Jesus. It's got to be our priority. And it would have been easier, I think, for these men to come alone and to just kind of get by the window and maybe hear Jesus, but they had a great priority. They had the right priority. We've got to get our friend to where Jesus is. Then number two, notice this, they redeemed the time. They redeemed the time. Think about it. These men heard that Jesus was there and somehow they got everything together and they took advantage of that opportunity. They didn't say, well, we'll wait for a better opportunity. We'll wait till the crowds die down. We'll wait till he's by himself. We'll wait till there's a, a more opportune time. They saw that there was a great need. They saw that they couldn't wait until tomorrow. When we were living in Quebec, and I've been recently reminded by being here in Vancouver, how the gas prices fluctuate so much. It was a shock to me because I had forgotten about that. And, you know, when, a, when the gas goes up 10 cents a liter, well, that's 40 cents a gallon, and that starts clicking off in my mind. When I was in language school, if the gas would go up really quickly, we knew where there was one gas station, it was always the last to change its prices. We would stop language school so everybody in language school could run out and get gas in their car. We were redeeming the time. If I could do that for a gallon of gas, can't we do it for somebody who needs Jesus? Can't we redeem the time? James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. It appeareth for a moment and it vanisheth away. The Apostle Paul says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Heaven forbid he would speak that to Grace Baptist Church. When I was in Connecticut and working in law enforcement, I, I had a friend who I had witnessed to for years. I'll just call him T. It's what we always called him. He was a scoffer. He was an atheist by his own uh, proud admission. And for years, he didn't want to talk to me about the gospel. And then one day, after work, I was actually leaving. I was already late. I was heading out. I went to Bible college at night, and I was heading out to Bible college. I was already late. I knew I'd be in trouble with my professors. And, and T was working a late shift, and he got a hold of me, and he said, Hey, listen, could we talk? for a few minutes. And I said, yeah, where are you? And I walked down to the post he was located at and 
on the, on the desk where he was working was a God's simple plan of salvation. And he pointed to it, and I looked at him and I said, I'd like to tell you I left it there, but it wasn't me this time. I thought he was angry. And he said, no, I think I need this. And we talked. And we talked for over an hour. By this time, I was going to miss my first class. And I had the opportunity to teach or to give T the, the gospel again. Finally, I left. I got to class and went uh, through. And probably about a week or two later, T walked into my office. He pulled out of his little pouch in his pocket on his side of his uniform. And he had a little New Testament Bible. And he said, hey, I want to tell you what I've been reading. And I said, when did you start reading the Bible? And he said, well, you remember when I called you a couple weeks ago? I said, yeah. He said, well... After you talked to me, I went home that night after my shift and I kneeled down on the side of my bed and I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Then he finished the story. He said, what I didn't tell you that night as you talked to me was that my original plans were to finish my shift. He had been going through a terrible time. His wife was looking to divorce him. His, his brother had just died. His father had just died. He said, what I didn't tell you was that I had arranged for my family not to be home when I got home. And I had a gun by my bed. And my original plans were to go home and to blow my brains out. But I went home and kneeled by that bed and received Jesus as my Savior. Amen. You better redeem the time. Don't wait. What is your life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a moment, then it vanisheth away. And then they regarded the need for unity. They regarded the need for unity. I don't know if you've ever carried anybody on a stretcher before, but there's great unity that's needed. They didn't have wheels under this bed that they were carrying this man on. And so think about it. If the two guys in front, all of a sudden, the guy on the front left wants to go left and the guy on the right wants to go right, well, guess what? There's a split right down in the middle and the guy falls on the floor. You've got to be coordinated and unified to carry somebody on a stretcher. These guys were so concerned with their friend that they said, hey, we're just going to work together. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist and I don't, I don't apologize for any of that. But I do know this. We spend a lot of time shooting at ourselves. We spend a lot of time reading this blog and this internet thing and this over here and this over here. And it's not so much for edification as it is to find out what's he doing wrong and what's he doing wrong and what's he doing wrong and what's he doing and what's that doing. And I'm not speaking about compromise, but I am saying this. Could we work together to bring somebody to Jesus? Can we just have a spirit of cooperation about us that says, hey, listen, there's something more important than my preferences. My friend needs to get to Jesus. It, it takes teamwork. It takes a lot of people to bring one person to Jesus. When I was in Quebec, I remember that I, I, I love how God does things. Here I was, an American in Quebec. We were hosting a young lady who was going to be a missionary in Haiti. She was in Quebec. She was in Chicoutimi, attending the University of Chicoutimi to learn French. While she was there, she had in her class a Chinese national named Ji. 
she invited G to church and he came to church and then one night me the American uh, Jean Russo who is a, a Quebecer that was work, we were working alongside of in, in Chicoutimi G are all sitting in the Tim Hortons I mean we've got everything represented and there in Tim Hortons God allowed me to give G the gospel and he was saved that night a lady that was going to Haitia, uh, Haiti rather just decided I'll, I'll bring him to church a Quebecer said hey I'll go and be a soul winning partner and we're just sitting in a Tim Hortons giving somebody the gospel and G got saved and I'm just saying it takes a lot of people to bring one person to Jesus Christ a lot of times they regarded the need for unity and then they also renamed, remained anonymous. They remained anonymous. You can look through the text, but you'll never find the name of these men. There's a song out there that pretends to know the name of these men. I'm not opposed to the song, but the truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't tell us the name of these men. And I don't think that, Pastor, when Jesus looked down or looked up through the roof that these men were naming, wearing name tags that said, Elder so-and-so. <laughs> these men renamed, remained anonymous. They didn't come down and say, Jesus, let me shake your hand. And by the way, let me remind you of my name. They just decided this. We've got to get somebody to Jesus. I don't care who notices because this much I know anyway. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of work, of love that you have showed in his name. God knows our name anyway. That's all that really matters. God knows my name tonight and that's all that really matters. Number five, I've got to move quickly. They were resolved in their effort. They were resolved in their effort. Think about this. Nothing was going to stop them. Think about what these men did. They got their friend on a, on a stretcher and they brought him to Jesus and then there's no way to get him into the house so they start ripping up the roof. Nothing's going to stop them and it seems like there's every excuse under the sun why people can't go door knocking. I'm too busy. I don't have the gift of soul winning. I would simply say this, if you're too busy to bring somebody to Jesus, you are busier than Jesus ever intended you to be. Look through the Bible, you'll not find anywhere where it says that somebody has the gift of soul winning. There's a command to win souls, and he that wins souls is wise. The truth of the matter is, you always find time to accomplish that which you purpose and prioritize. My son and I like to play tennis. Our son is 21 years old. He's in the Marine Corps now, and he lives out of our home. We do have a 24-year-old daughter who lives in Tennessee. She and her husband plan one day to be missionaries in Nepal. And, but my son and I like to play tennis. We live in the Sonoran Desert. It gets to be 120 degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Do you know that when he and I play tennis and it's 115 degrees, the tennis courts are full. But a lot of times I'll say to somebody, we go soul winning with me, and they'll say, in 115 degrees, kind of hot. But there are people playing tennis. 
these guys were just resolved in their effort. Then they were resourceful as well. They were resourceful. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have thought about breaking the roof up. What did they, what did they use to let the bed down in, through the ceiling? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know how they did it exactly, and I don't know if they took the robes off the, or the belts off their robes or what they did, but I'm simply saying they were, they were resourceful, and I think that we need to be resourceful and innovative in our soul-winning efforts, and that if it doesn't detract from the glory of God, and I can bring somebody to Jesus with it, I want to be involved. And I don't want to get stuck in a box that says, I can only do it this way. Now, there are some ways that I think we ought not do it because it could detract from the glory of God. I'm not going to go there tonight. That's, that's another thing for another time. But I am saying that we need to be resourceful. We need to be determined that, hey, whatever it takes to get the gospel to somebody. So long as through that effort, God is glorified. So long as through that effort, we don't violate principles of Scripture. Let's be innovative. Let's decide that, that the most important thing is getting somebody to Jesus. And then notice this, number seven, they were, they were ready to pay the price. Hey, somebody was going to have to pay to fix the roof. They were ready to pay the price. They would have been the ones who were obligated to repair the roof or to pay for the repairs. I'm thankful for all the missionary pictures that you have on the wall tonight. They represent the... the the efforts and the sacrifice of those who give ready to pay the price so that somebody can come to Jesus in a place where you and I can't be. Maybe tonight somebody needs to decide, I'll be ready to pay the price. We're ready to pay five bucks for a coffee at Starbucks. It's cheaper at Tim Hortons. Go there. We're ready to pay three bucks at Tim Hortons. Can we, can we give a little bit more so that a missionary could get somewhere? so that somebody could get to Jesus. Number eight, they refused to quit. Can you imagine the opposition? Can you imagine what the people would have thought? Some people would have looked at them and said, these guys are crazy. They're breaking through the roof. They're radical. They're, they're too extreme. They're too, they're too set on getting people to Jesus. They're, they're too anxious about this. I can't believe how undignified they broke the roof. Jesus didn't see it that way. Can I say this? Whenever you are zealous and desiring to get somebody to Jesus, there will always be somebody who's not so zealous and not, doesn't have that great desire to bring somebody to Jesus who's ready to criticize. You know what I would say? Ignore them and get that person to Jesus. That's what these men did. Then notice this. Number nine. The men were rewarded. They were rewarded. Why? Because they got their friend to Jesus, and Jesus said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. That was the, the greatest, that was the greatest need in this, whole case, in this whole incident. Not that he could take up his bed and walk, and he said, How did all that happen? I didn't hear him pray that prayer or anything. I, I know this, Jesus looked at all of those men, including the one on the bed, and he saw their faith. 
And I don't know exactly how it, all, how it all worked, but I do know this. Jesus said to that man, your sins are forgiven. That is the greatest need that this man had. And I do know that Jesus suffered the greatest price so that he could say that to those men, or to that man. And it secured the greatest blessing. That man could have been cured of the palsy by some doctor perhaps and still died and go to hell. But four men said, hey, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. And they were so set on that, and they were so zealous about that, that when Jesus saw them, he saw their faith. And the scoffers and the deniers looked and they said, we've never seen it like this before. Church, Who's noticed your faith this week? Pastor? 